Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. This is season two, episode 11. My goodness, I got caught on both of those things because I'm so surprised that one, we're in season two, and two, we're already at episode 11. Oh my goodness. My name is Valerie. I am here with my co-host Brie, as always, and we are excited to be reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince backward. That is our thing. That is what we're doing, and we are glad you are here for it. But Brie, how are you doing today? Mm, I am good. I'm doing good. Feeling maybe a little sleepy, but that's okay. Still very, very happy to be here. How about you? What's going on in your world? I'm good. I'm not sleepy. I'm caffeinated. And I have so many (laughs) notes on this chapter that you could just take a nap if you wanted to. And I could probably do this shorty episode on my own. (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty sure the know-it-all in me. That will not be as exciting to the people. Uh, Maybe it would, but the know-it-all in me just cannot handle that. I have to share the spotlight with you. I'm sorry. You'd be, you'd be napping and like wake up from a dead sleep being like, that's not right, Valerie. Let me fix it that for you. <laughs> Literally exactly what would happen. Although you're hardly ever wrong. But if it happens, that that is what I would do. <laughs> Between you and the internet, I always get corrected. It keeps me humble. Nice. <laughs> okay. So as I said, I mean, I have a lot of notes. I'm assuming you do because this is a good meaty chapter. Mm-hmm. I mean, this to me, so we're, do, we're covering chapter 20, Lord Voldemort's request. And this to me is what the meat of this book is. This is like digging into Tom Riddle and Voldemort's backstory. So without further ado, let's just dive right in with your recap. Okay. Chapter 20, Lord Voldemort's request. In this chapter, Dumbledore sends for Harry to come to his office. He is severely disappointed when Harry tells him he was unable to secure Slughorn's memory of his conversation with Tom Riddle. After impressing upon Harry how this task is the most important of all, they dive into two specific memories. One is from a house elf who remembers Tom Riddle coming to see her master who shows Tom both Helga Hufflepuff's cup and the Slytherin's locket. Two days later, her master was killed and Tom wasn't seen again for many years. And the second memory, we now see Tom, also now known as Lord Voldemort, come to visit Dumbledore, who is headmaster of Hogwarts. Voldemort wants a position as a teacher at Hogwarts, but Dumbledore refuses, insisting that Voldemort only came for a purpose, and it was not to be a teacher. The chapter ends with Dumbledore telling Harry to obtain the memory so they are able to put all the pieces together. Great summary. And as usual, we are reading the last sentence of the chapter first. That's how Bree and I read it when we read it backwards. So here is the final sentence of this chapter. Oh, Voldemort definitely wanted the defense against the dark arts job, said Dumbledore. The aftermath of our little meeting proved that. You see, we have never been able to keep a defense against the dark arts teacher for longer than one year since I refused the post to Lord Voldemort. Actually, and now that I read that, I, I think it's interesting he calls him Voldemort. He doesn't call him Tom Riddle there. Well, he do, he often calls him Tom Riddle or Voldemort. He just will, wasn't willing to do it then because he knew that 
that would make Voldemort happy. Mm-hmm. That's true. I feel like he typically switches back and forth. When he's talking about the past, he says Tom Riddle. But when he's talking about the present, he does say Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. You're right. Because he does say it with Minerva McGonagall at the very beginning of the first book. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out that this chapter, very much like chapter 23, which I believe we covered in episode eight, is like a two-part chapter. It's got like one memory and then another memory. Mm-hmm. And it's these mm-hmm. memories that are the really meaty bits of this entire book, really. <laughs> Not just chapter, but book. I love I love these. This is such a cool storytelling mechanism to give us as readers all the information we need for ourselves to put together the puzzle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, why don't we dive in? I know you're pretty excited about this, so I'm excited to hear what you have. Okay. Well, actually, it's funny. Not only, I wouldn't say there's even just two parts. I'd say there's three parts to this chapter because I have all, a whole bunch of notes on the things before they even get into the memory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do too. Like I have, you know, we see our first glimpse now that we know from last episode that Malfoy has been using Polyjuice Potion to transform Crab and Goyle into little girls and make them stand guard for him. We have Hermione encountering one of these little girls and like helping her out. And I was just thinking, you know, I think we talked about this last season, how when you take Polyjuice Potion, your voice doesn't change Mm -hmm. or does change, doesn't change. And how, so you could just imagine this little girl with like big old Goyle voice. (laughs) So he can't literally can't say anything because it's like the mismatch would give it away immediately. Uh, And then we have Luna, who I know is your favorite character. She finally makes an appearance. Yeah, yeah. I love that. She's getting super. She got, we went right into her weirdness. (laughs) (laughs) It was very weird. (laughs) I mean, I love, though, that she's like, has a Gertie root. So, like, that's a throwback or a throw forward to Deathly Hallows where uh, Xenophilius is making them Gertie root tea. And then she says, Gertie roots are good for warding off gulping plimpies, which is what she's fishing for, according to Xenophilius when they're visiting. So it's like a whole bunch of weird love goody stuff being mentioned that also gets mentioned again later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, <laughs> what it says, and a considerable amount of what looks like cat litter into Ron's hands. <laughs> like, What? Is it in a bag? I don't think so. I, I feel like it's probably not in a bag. <laughs> also, I think a lot about the different emissaries that Dumbledore uses to get these messages to Harry, like random students and Luna. And he's got to be like, I'm giving this to Miss Lovegood. I really hope it gets to Harry. <laughs> I can't be sure that it's actually, and it's like buried in her bag and like cr- crumpled up and like half covered. And it's like, it's just a rather grubby scroll. Like it gets dirty on Luna's watch, but she still delivers it. So... I feel like she's probably like Hagrid, you know? He's like, it's going to get to him, but, you know, it's going to be questionable exactly how that happens. Yeah, it's going to get to him in her own way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The other thing I had from before we jump into the memories is the sense of being x-rayed by Albus Dumbledore. I think that this is a a phrase that J.K. Rowling uses a lot when Harry is being looked at by Dumbledore. And I kind of am trying to tell, is this meant to be legitimacy? Oh... Because it's described as like a sensation. Like maybe Snape is a really good Aquamans and kind of a bad Legilimens. And so whenever he goes into Harry's mind, it's kind of like punching a hole through the wall. Whereas when Dumbledore does it, it's kind of just like a smooth feeling and it's not as obvious. Like maybe that helps explain this whole, you know, differences in the way that people respond to Legilimens. Because we were saying like Voldemort can clearly do it very well and people don't even know it's happening. So maybe it's just that Snape's not actually a very good Legilimens. Yeah, maybe. That that honestly makes a ton of sense. I think you, yeah, you might be right. Yeah, so I think Dumbledore is like very lightly using legilimency. Like maybe not actually prying, but just being like, I clearly, I see more than you're telling me, Mr. Potter. And so Harry feels it and then like <laughs> spills the beans, you know, like he responds accordingly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that makes the most sense. I love that. Good catch. And then 
we get into the memories. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, nope. Sorry. Back it up. Okay. Sorry. I have one more thing before we get into the memories. Turns out all of my notes are from before the memories, not the memories themselves. It is about those, how did they describe them in book two? Unusual similarities, strange Mm -hmm. likenesses, strange likenesses. That's how Tom Riddle describes it when he finally meets Harry once he comes out of the diary. (laughs) The fact that Harry and Voldemort both have this strong affinity for Hogwarts. Dumbledore describes it. Voldemort was, I believe, more attached to the school than he has ever been to a person. Hogwarts was where he had been his happiest, asterisk on that, the first and only place he felt at home. And Harry felt slightly uncomfortable with these words, for that Mm -hmm. was exactly how he felt about Hogwarts, too. It's one of those strange likenesses. But also, do we think Voldemort was ever happy? Uh, I don't, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Like when I when I hit that word, I was like, I don't know that Voldemort ever. I think he felt. I think he felt positive emotion. Yeah. But I don't know that it is happiness in the like happy and contented and satisfied way because he was clearly always striving for more, for more power, for more prestige, etc. So I'm not sure that was that word kind of rang untrue as it crossed me. But maybe in his own way, it was the happiest. You know what I mean? He had ever been. And I guess that just means however he feels, joy just seems wrong too. But I guess evil can feel joy. It's still joy. It's just not how we typically experience joy. That's true. I guess I shouldn't discount it just because it's not my flavor. (laughs) It doesn't make sense (laughs) to me. Killing doesn't bring you joy. That's not a thing for you. Well, <laughs> no, first of all, let me answer that question. No, but also the joy of achieving that goal, I don't. it just doesn't seem like joy to me, but that doesn't mean it's not joy to the person experiencing it. I guess that's what I mean. <laughs> okay, sorry. I swear, I thought I had all the notes in the memories and I have none of my notes are in the memories. The final, final, final thing I think, let me just, okay, yeah, is I have long wondered about how Harry enters the pensive. Yes. He always stands up. And puts his face in it. And I'm like, do you have to put your face in it? Because I can just imagine Dumbledore standing there every time. (laughs) And and Harry, like, puts his face in it and, like, falls in or whatever. And Dumbledore just, like, puts a finger in. Like, just stands. (laughs) And, like, it's not, like, a thing you have to put your face in. And I didn't Google that because part of me just loves the absurdity of thinking Dumbledore just stands there, like, rolls his eyes. Like, Harry does not... Why does he put his face? I mean, the first time he encounters the pensive, he puts his face in it, and then he just does it forevermore and doesn't check that that's actually how you enter it. Well, and what about the fact that Dumbledore enters second every single time for, I can maybe assume, to check out the surroundings or something to make sure it's safe? What is he doing? Because often there's at least a couple sentences that go by inside the memory or a couple moments go by before he jumps in. And I don't really understand. Yeah, why does he take so long to go to get get in there? What is he doing? Or you just want to make sure Harry got in okay? I mean, what, can something go wrong? (laughs) I mean, I just think, like, you're right. There is always a gap. In this case, there's a gap of the entire time when we don't, Dumbledore is presumably there, but he actually isn't mentioned to be there. But this memory, now that we're in the memory, it's just fascinating to me. Like, I didn't necessarily have notes, but I love how much information we're given in this one. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a ton of notes on the memories themselves either, but it is interesting to see Tom, like, kind of go through his phases of life where you have him very, very good looking in this, in this particular memory, although it's almost Harry even mentions like there's still something a little bit inhuman about him even as like a good looking young man and in the second memory he does he comes back and he is like very inhuman yeah 
Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that because I ha- that's the last two notes I have. Okay. The first one I have is about Voldemort's eyes because mm-hmm. there's this description in this memory with Hepzibah Smith about his eyes glowing red. And I found the coolest answer on Cora, and I'm going to give it a shout out, but I want to like read it to you. So I Googled basically, why does Voldemort have red eyes or why do his eyes flash red or whatever? And Brandon Lane from Richmond, Virginia on Cora writes, the short answer is because he's evil. <laughs> okay, yes. From a narrative proponent, it is also a common way to show character relations and ideology. Red is the color of good. Gryffindor, Stupefy, Expelliarmus. Green is the color of evil, killing, curse, slither, and snakes, etc. But by giving Harry green eyes and Voldemort red eyes, it shows they have a connection and one of them is likely to become the other. So it kind of is this cool thing where like red is red is good and green is evil and yet their eyes are the opposite of that. And that's like a gateway into one another, basically. And I loved that description. I thought that Brandon, great job. You're not listening, but fantastic answer. Because I couldn't figure out like, it's very obvious and it's called out that his eyes kind of flash red like there's this evil magic that's sort of bursting forth from within him. And I was just like, why is that? And that answer doesn't really answer my question, but also is a fantastic answer about why they have the eye colors that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That is very, very cool. Some deep thinking. I know. Now, Brandon, if you're listening and you want to be a guest on the podcast, yeah. hit us <laughs> up, man. <laughs> and then the other one, which you hit on, is how different Tom Riddle looks by the time he comes back for his job interview, mm-hmm. which is his second job interview because we learned that he's tried to get a job before right after he left Hogwarts but to me this description of Voldemort slash Tom is the scariest description of him Mm -hmm. Tom Riddle the attractive young man and Lord Voldemort the snake-like face this is the scariest one it reads it was as though his features had been burned and blurred they were waxy and oddly distorted and the whites of his eyes were now permanently bloody though the pupils were not yet the slits that Harry knew they would become that is terrifying yeah that's nightmare fuel yeah like I don't want to think about it. Like, I think about it, and I'm like, first, just his eyes being completely bloody, but not yet, like, red. Ugh. What is he doing? I mean, he's splitting his soul, but, like, what other magic is he doing to transform himself, and why? Is this just, like, a byproduct? I, I know. I read that, too, and my mind, I think, naturally to protect itself, like, kind of just, like, keeps going. Because I'm like, that sounds disgusting. I don't even want to try to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Like, for one, because it's hard to, like, waxy. Like, what does that even mean? And you just picture, like, just the most disgusting thing. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's doing all sorts of great magic. Other than love, which um, I don't think I realized how often Dumbledore brings up love and how he constantly keeps trying to save Tom Riddle, Voldemort, and everyone around by talking about and showing love and and that's pretty obvious like we know that that's the theme of the book right but still like it's there's pockets of it everywhere little hints easter eggs mm-hmm. yeah there's this interaction between Voldemort slash Tom Riddle and Dumbledore I kind of keep saying both names because to me he's still in between you know Voldemort says the old argument nothing I've seen in the world has supported your famous pronouncements that love is more powerful than any kind of magic Dumbledore and Dumbledore responds perhaps you've been looking in the wrong places and I'm like just go to the Department of Mysteries <laughs> dummy we talked about this in a previous episode there's a whole room if you they're afraid of it they lock the door it's the magic they don't study it, the thesis that you had last season about Voldemort just underestimating things he doesn't understand is just ev- ever more evident the more we move into understanding his character in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the only other thing that I want to keep watching for and what I think is interesting is watching Dumbledore. He has been very intentional throughout these past few chapters and in this chapter for sure on how much he tells Harry on how he impresses upon him how important the memory of Slughorn is and how he's very good, um, similar to Harry and Voldemort. He is very good at manipulation and we could also call it teaching or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the simple way is he's very good at manipulating Harry. He's good at manipulating Voldemort. 
Voldemort, literally refusing to use the name Voldemort only because he knew that that would empower Voldemort at that given moment. And so he chose not to do it. And I, yeah, it's very interesting to watch Dumbledore at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got the sense in this chapter, especially that we do see Dumbledore is a puppet master. Mm -hmm. He is pulling the strings on everyone around him, trying to get them aligned in a way that reaches the outcome he's aiming for, which we discussed, again, I keep hearkening back to last season, so if you haven't listened to that, I recommend going and checking it out. It's totally available. It's only 15 episodes. The Greater Good. He is always acting in service of the Greater Good, which was sort of this barbed idea that he had as a young man, but that he sort of takes as a life mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that puppet master. He's very much a puppet master. And I mean, it's a good thing we believe the Greater Good was, you know, his version of the Greater Good, because could be viewed otherwise. But lucky for the world of, you know... Harry Potter, his view of. <laughs> yeah, it was Dumbledore's vision, not Grindelwald's yes. vision or Voldemort's Yes, vision. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, I don't have anything else from this chapter. If you don't, we will wrap it up. Okay, well, thank you guys for being here today and for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it or if you didn't, please head to your podcast player of choice. Give us a five-star rating uh, and a review. We are happy to hear everything you have to say, good and bad. Uh, you are also welcome to reach out to us. We have social media, uh, Beljar Pod on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. And we do have an email address. It is podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Followthebutterflies.com is my Harry Potter blog. So if you need more Harry Potter in your day, you can head on over there and discover a whole other world of it that I've been working on for the past two years. It was my pandemic project and it is still going. Before we wrap it up, let's have you share this with somebody. Who's only watched the movies. Oh, that's a good one, good one. Okay, let's have you share this. Grab that share link out of your podcast player or the YouTube link if you're watching us on YouTube. Send it to somebody who's never read the books. Really throw them a curveball in their day because not only <laughs> do they not read the books, they are going to be thrown in the middle of a book. And they're going to be like, why did you send this to me? And you'll be like, well, you should go back to episode one <laughs> of the season and start there. How about that? And with that, we will wrap it up. We will let you go. Enjoy the rest of your day. And we will see you next time. See ya. The Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.